Well, welcome to the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. We're going to start this episode with a grateful thank you to all the generous Patreon supporters who make this podcast possible. I also want to welcome new members and also new subscribers. Now, we're in the Stars Upon Her Mantle uh, pilgrimage with the Virgin of Guadalupe, and this is a daily inspiration and reflections on the different stars of the mantle of the Virgin of Guadalupe. Now, the Stars Upon Her Mantle is in solidarity with the people who are making the pilgrimage to the Shrine of Guadalupe in Mexico City, which begins 46 days before the Festival of Guadalupe in commemoration of the 46 stars that are visible on the mantle, hence the name of the pilgrimage. Now, as we know, pilgrimages need not involve walking hundreds of miles. We can be spirit walkers and join in our hearts and souls. So if you would like to join, even though you're joining after it started, you can sing, see the link in the program notes on how to become a member so that you receive these wonderful daily devotions during this 46-day period. Now, we're also nearly into Advent, so if you would also like to journey during Advent with the Black Madonna, the ebook Divine Darkness, The Journey into Advent with the Black Madonna is available on the Black Madonna Speaks Patreon page for everyone to download. You don't have to be a member, even though I would love it if you wanted to be a member, but for whatever reason you don't want to join Patreon, you can download this book and support the channel. So look in the link on the program notes and you will be directed on where to receive your copy. Now, for this episode of The Black Madonna Speaks, we will be exploring a fascinating narrative and the miracles surrounding Our Lady of Jubilation. And the image is currently housed at the Basilica of Notre Dame de Lise in Annecy, France. The most recent episode of The Black Madonna Speaks explored a very modern Madonna, Our Lady of Akita, Japan. For me, it was such a delightful journey to, to a place in a history for which I was completely ignorant. For this episode, we will return to the era of the Crusades for another inspiring narrative of a Black Madonna who figures into the history of this era, and also it reflects the history all the way up through the French Revolution and beyond. Now, my longtime listeners can already figure out what's involved, but for me, the French Black Madonnas are wonderful models of resilience and reinvention, two qualities so many of us can embody during this current era. Now, during the time of the Crusades, in the year 1110, Three brothers who were from the Order of the Knights of St. John left the Diocese of Léon, not Lyon, Léon, which is near Lise Notre-Dame, and they left to help protect pilgrims on their way to the Holy Land. 
We often think there's only one order of knights involved in the Crusades, but the knights of the Hospital of St. John's of Jerusalem were very uh, prominent during the Crusades and in the Holy Land. Now, we can see they were not interested in merchandise such as t-shirts or keychains in those days because the name was a bit cumbersome. These knights were known also as the Knights Hospitaller, and they also involved into the Knights of Malta. The journey to the Holy Land from Europe was arduous, and that is an understatement. The percentage of those who returned alive was quite low, as pilgrims were easy pickings for thieves and brigands, and the terrain to get there was not what we would call inviting and comfortable. When the pilgrims finally did arrive in Jerusalem, they were subject to special taxes. The city was under Muslim rule, and if under Christian rule, then it was expensive to stay or get some sort of health care for illnesses or injuries acquired along the way. The term hospital was originally used for places where hospitality was offered, meaning meals and a place to sleep. Providing hospitality was seen as a Christian duty and vocation, and this is why the knights had the name in their extensive title, and it stuck in the abbreviated version. There was quite the competition between the Hospitallers and the Templars. When the Templars were dissolved, many who could see the demise coming actually joined up with the Hospitallers to avoid the persecutions. With the fall of Jerusalem and the subsequent losses in the Holy Land, the hierarchy of the Hospitallers moved to the island of Malta and basically stayed there for several hundred years. But back to our three knights hospitallers from Leon in 1110. The brothers and members were from noble houses. The three of these brothers were caught in an ambush and were captured by Saracens while defending Ascalon in 1134. Now, it is a historical fact that there were three knights and their names were Yehan, Lord of Epis, Hector, Lord of Marche, and Henry. Apparently he wasn't a lord because it's just called Henry. And these were the prisoners of the Sultan El Afadal of Cairo. And this is a historical fact occurring in 1134. Now the captured knights were taken to Cairo and brought before the Sultan. The Sultan thought he could convert them to Islam by offering them lavish gifts to no avail. The Sultan then threw them into prison to see if that would do the trick. The three men were then subjected to all kinds of torture and hardships, including starvations. They still would not convert. Then the Sultan sent his beautiful daughter, the Princess Ismeria, to try and win them over. Note, historically, the Sultan did have a daughter who was of age to marry at the time, and her name was Ismeria. So this legend has a lot of um, <clears throat> documented, verifiable facts. Now, prisoner. 
Princess Ismeria knew the cruel death that awaited the three knights if they did not give in to her father. She thought they could be swayed by promises of riches and political position, but the knights simply would not budge. In fact, the knights entered into deep discussions and debates regarding Christianity and Islam. Ismeria began to doubt everything about her faith during these discussions. The knights then told her about the Virgin Mary, that if she could have a vision of the Blessed Mother, she would understand why they were so dedicated to their religion. They spoke both of the Virgin and Christ in such glowing terms, with such devotion and joy, that the princess was actually quite moved. They told her that the Virgin Mary's image was enough to capture every heart, convincing it to love her. Princess Ismeria was quite curious about this beautiful image, even though images were forbidden in Islam, and asked the brothers to create a statue of this divine mother so she could see what what she looked like. She gave them wood, brushes, paints, and all the necessary tools to make such an image, and then she went away. The brothers, having no idea how to make a statue, prayed to the Virgin for help and then fell into a deep sleep. They were awoken the next day by a brilliant light. In their cell in the dungeon where they were captives and never left, they found an image of a black virgin and child carved in ebony. When they saw the figure, they immediately knelt before it and began to pray, mainly because there was no earthly reason for this image, and they saw the statue as a gift from the Divine Mother. Early the next morning, Princess Ismeria arrived and saw the statue. She was astonished and fell at the foot of the icon. According to legend, she was quite moved and wanted to become a Christian through baptism. That night, as the princess slept, the Blessed Mother appeared to her in a dream and told her that the three knights would escape from Egypt and take her to France with them. When Ismeria awoke, she rushed to the tower and found the big doors open. She led the knights out of the fortress, giving them their freedom. Knowing that death would be the punishment for both converting as well as releasing the prisoners, the knights took Esmeria with them as they escaped. The four made their way to the banks of the Nile, and a boatman was waiting to take them across. When they reached the other side, the man vanished. Yet another miracle was attributed to Our Lady. As evening approached, the four travelers sought out some shelter to rest for the night. Exhausted from their long day's journey, they quickly fell asleep. When they awoke, they discovered that they were in another place. Confused, they asked a traveler where they were. He told them they were in Picardy, which was near Epis. They all knelt in prayer, realizing that another miracle had occurred, bringing them to safety. Now this, I can't tell you if it has been documented by historians, but I personally think this is an awesome legend. The travelers had carried the statue from Cairo and began walking towards their villa in Epis. 
As they neared the villa, the statue became so heavy they could not move it. They were in the town of Lys, and they immediately knew that this was the place Our Lady wanted her statue to stay. The three brothers of the Knights of St. John were greeted with great jubilation by their relatives and friends. They were all fascinated by the Princess Ismeria, who renounced her former life. The Bishop of Lyon baptized her and gave her the name of Mary. Her prayers had been answered. The people built a church to receive the statue of Our Lady of Lys. As time went by, the church took on the name of the statue and then the entire region. Eventually, the Basilica of Notre-Dame-de-Lys also became known as Our Lady of Lys, or Our Lady of Joy and Jubilation. Pilgrims came from all over the world to see the statue, and there is an annual pilgrimage to the Basilica on Whit Monday, uh, which is the Monday after Whitson or Pentecost. The feast day of Our Lady is December 2nd. Since 1414, the Basilica of Our Lady of Jubilation has been a favorite pilgrim destination of the French royal family. As you can imagine, that got interrupted several times with very pro- various Protestant uprisings and ultimately ended during the French Revolution. On a historical side note, Princess Ismeria the Sudanese daughter of the Sultan El-Afdal of Cairo, eventually married Robert of Epis, the son of Guillaume II of France and a relative of the three brothers who the legend says led her to Christianity and she helped them escape from prison. Now that part's true. I don't know about the waking up from the Nile to France, though. I can't. But I I like that one. I I personally like it. Now the church has several expan the church had several expansions since its first construction, mainly because so many pilgrims visited the shrine. The first chapel the brothers built the year of their return was quickly outgrown by the crowds of the faithful. According to ancient documents, the first shrine of Our Lady was built with stones left over from the construction of the nearby Leon Cathedral. One of the original portal stones was engraved with the inscription, quote, as a monument of their piety and their gratitude towards the Virgin Mary, this holy temple was built in 1134 by the Knights of Epis. Unquote. It was rebuilt in 1384 and enlarged in 1480. Now, what would a French Black Madonna story be without a series of uprisings and revolutions? In November of 1568, the troops of the Protestant Prince of Orange looted the village and its church. And having broken the statues and removed the bells, set fire to the church, reducing the bell tower to ashes. Restoration commenced nine years later. The original ebony image survived this assault only to be burnt at the stake in the fine libertine passion of the Napoleonic soldiers. Only her ashes remained. 
and were taken to Montreal, Canada to be put in the base of a replica of Our Lady. Unfortunately, this replica is white, but hey, the black ashes are at the root of the image. Many drawings and paintings survived the liberation of the Napoleonic forces. Many churches in France and its former colonies have copies of the Black Madonna of Lys. Thankfully, most of them are black. Healings are attributed to her, and for obvious reasons, she is sought in all cases of liberation from imprisonment, be it literal, meaning let's say, a hostage situation or a political prisoner situation or a personally inflicted imprisonment such as depression or a bad habit. Personally, I find the notion of four people translocating from Egypt to France absolutely delightful. This Black Madonna is unique in that angels or the Virgin Mary had sculpted her. She also shares the trait of being heavy and not moving uh, in order to stay at a certain place with many other Black Madonnas. Apparently, this is what Black Madonnas do. They just get really heavy and everybody decides, oh, that's where she wants a church to be built. I will end this episode with a prayer from the Knights of Malta for Our Lady of Lees, Our Lady of Jubilation. O God, who brought joy to the world by the incarnation of Christ your Son, grant to us who honor his mother as the cause of our joy, the grace to follow your commandments and to set our hearts on the true joys of heaven. May you find joys in these days in ways you never expected. Thanks again to all who make this podcast a reality. Don't forget to visit the Patreon page if you would like to join our Virgin of Guadalupe Pilgrimage of the Heart, the stars upon her mantle. You simply have to become a member of Patreon. And if you would like to get ready for Advent, there's a journal of daily inspirations offered by various Black Madonnas for this sacred season of darkness. Until next time, this is Stephanie Georgiev wishing you many blessings on your journey.